This is from Intern to Entrepreneur, the podcast for counseling and therapy graduate students who want to start planning their journey to private practice while they're still in grad school. I'm your host, Corey White, and within three years of graduating from my master's program, I had a six-figure thriving private practice, in large part because I started planning my path while I was still in grad school. This podcast is full of stories and information meant to give you ideas about how you can carve your own path to the therapy career that you want. Please note that when you're listening to this podcast, licensure laws and requirements vary from state to state. So check with your state board about what you can and can't do on your journey. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. Oh, hey there, grad students. This is episode 12 of From Intern to Entrepreneur. Last week, if you tuned in, I interviewed my old LPC supervisor, Dr. Ryan Bowers. It was a really cool interview because I was interviewing my old supervisor. But we're continuing the supervision train today where I am interviewing Dr. Amy Fortney Parks, and she is a cool woman. She's also very funny, which I appreciate as a guest on this podcast. But the reason I have her on is to talk about post-grad school supervision and the clinical supervision directory, which is a directory that she founded for supervisors and supervisees to connect, which is so mind-blowingly amazing as someone who had to search for their own supervisor, who did the niche thing that they were looking for and who would support me in private practice. Uh, it's really amazing that there is a directory now where you can go on and it makes your life easy, way easier than, you know, the way it used to be in the olden days, like six years ago. So she also calls it the Tinder of supervision, which she says it in her interview. And I am latching onto that. I think it's hysterical. But she's not just the creator of the Tinder of supervision. She's also a child and adolescent psychologist. She is the founder and clinical director of Wise Mind Solutions and the Wise Family Counseling Assessment and Parent Coaching in Virginia. I hope that you love this interview as much as I love doing it. And without further ado, grad students, meet Amy. Hi, Amy. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Corey. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I want to start with you, like I start with everybody, which is tell our listeners a little bit about your journey, where you started, and how you got to where you are and the different things that you're doing now. Well, let's see. How long do we have? Because I am ancient. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. So I started my career as a school psychologist and a school counselor um, a million years ago. And um, I left the school environment and went into private practice in the early 2000s. And after a while, I had more clients than I knew what to do with. So I started a group practice. And um, so I have a group practice now called The Wise Family, and we have uh, 17 um, staff members, which is fantastic. And um, we have a, uh, a, a pretty diverse group of people that work with us. We see children, teens, and families. And along the way, as I was um, becoming a clinician and working in the field, I also became a supervisor. So I have been a clinical supervisor now for about eight years. And I primarily now run the group practice and I work as a supervisor and most recently have started a membership 
directory connection superhighway to connect supervision seekers to supervisors. So that is really sort of my journey and the connection to supervisors is sort of my, I guess, legacy, if you want to sort of put it that way. I'm in the generativity stage of, of Piaget's developmental <laughs> stages. <laughs> what a supervisor too, to just connect that on in this, uh, in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really interesting journey. And I think it's really cool to hear the different ways in which you can use your clinical education and take your career in different paths. Yeah. Yeah. I, since this podcast is geared toward people in graduate school, how would you define supervision? Like what is supervision? Some of these people like might be in their first semester and they're going like, wait, I haven't heard about that yet. Like what is supervision? Well, the funny thing is, is for people that are in graduate school, like I didn't even know when I was in undergrad. So I was a triple major in undergrad. I was an education, psychology, and English triple major. I didn't even know that there was such a career as counseling in schools because my school, when I was in high school, back in when dinosaurs roamed the earth, they, we didn't have that. That wasn't like a thing. You know, you had someone that helped you get into college, but they didn't help you with your mental health. No one cared about your mental health back in the 80s. They didn't, it wasn't a thing. And so I didn't even know that was a career until much, you know, like after I graduated from college and I sort of started to understand that there was more that was kind of a career path in schools. And so um, then I went to graduate school and my grad school was um, degree was in psychological services. And so I was able to get a degree working in schools and um then during that time, I also found out that there was a career path that was separate, schools and community counseling. But back in the day when I was in grad school, I didn't realize, like no one, when you're in grad school, you don't know what you're going to do 15 years down the road. And so a lot of people start in the school counseling track and they don't know that they may later want to become a community-based counselor. So I didn't realize that that was going to, no fault of my own, but like, I didn't know that I would later on want to go into private practice. So by the time I had worked in schools for 20 years and I wanted to though get, then get supervision to answer your question, to be able to be licensed as a clinician in my state, I had to be grandfathered in and most of my professors were dead by then. And my they had no trans, like the transcripts they had to dig up from the dusty basements of my university. You know, I mean, it's so so the my advice to grad students is number one, keep your transcripts, and number two, find out about all the career sort of options that are around sort of what interests you. And so supervision is one of those things that if you want to go in particular career paths, understand what the licensure requirements are for that. Just like if you want to go to law school, you have to know you have to take an exam and then you have to like go down a certain path. If you want to go to medical school, you have to go down this certain path. If you want to become a plumber, you have to go down this certain path. So it's just, you can't just, you don't just get to graduate and just start doing therapy, at least not in most states. There are a few states where that is actually true, but most states, you don't get to just do that. 
And so even if you're in one track, if you have some interests in a variety of sort of vague areas, like maybe you might want to work in schools, but maybe you might want to work in the community, just know a little bit more. Ask people, find people that are in those careers and just kind of find out, hey, like, what do I not know that I might want to know looking ahead? And when you say in the community, you're talking about like more traditional psychotherapy, like talk therapy. Yes. Yes. Like if you're working for the CSB or you're working in private practice or you're working in the hospital versus a school, for for example. So like working, because those are very different certification tracks and very different like licensure tracks at the grad school level. So my work has been in both areas. So I'm very familiar with both areas. But now my work is specifically with um, working with people that are in uh, the community or, you know, like LPC, social work, you know, licensed track working in the community. Sure. Or in private practice. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I hear you saying is essentially know what your next steps are depending on like which track that you're going. So like if you're going to be, if you're a school counseling in uh, graduate, but you're thinking about doing private practice, knowing that there's different qualifications or different requirements for those two different paths. Yeah. But I don't want people to freak out like, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do yet. I'm, I don't want people to freak out. I just want people to know that there might be more to the next step. And so there, so don't be, so, so look around keep your eyes open, talk to people that are in those careers. And don't be afraid of that because when you're talking to professors, you're talking to people in the field, talk to your parents' friends that are in that job, you know, talk to people that you know that are in that job, talk to people at your university that are in those jobs. Because here's the thing, you know, if you are in a career, if you're looking at a career field working as a licensed clinician like we are, you know, you have when you graduate, you still have 200, sometimes a minimum of 200 hours or 4,000 hours of face-to-face contact and 200 hours of supervision before you're even licensed. When I tell some students that when they start grad school, they lay down on the ground. I mean, that is just overwhelming, the idea of that. But there's a process and a reason for each step along the way, just like lawyers and doctors and other people that are serving the the greater community because we have ethics and responsibilities and guidelines that require us to take care of people in a certain way. And why do you think that you're you ended up in this realm of of sort of specializing in supervision? Um well, I've always loved teaching and so I've and I've always loved education. Those are always been really important things to me. Um, I'm very sort of CSI of the mind oriented. Like I'm always thinking about what other people are thinking. It's really like fascinating to me. Um, And I've been doing this work for a really, really long time. So when you are doing something for a long time and you get really good at it, people start asking you for advice. As a therapist, that's not our job. Giving advice is not what we do despite what people might think. So giving advice is not, but I love to give advice. That is one of my favorite things to do. So I think that I realized that I couldn't give advice 
if I was doing a lot of therapy. So I realized supervision was better for me because I could give more advice. (laughs) Better. It suits my personality because a, a supervisor is doing consultation and teaching and a slight bit of counseling on on the back end there to support the supervisee. So there's a there's a there's a bit of advice giving there in terms of supportive um, that that I think suits me a little bit in, in a little bit of a different way. Uses certainly a different part of my brain. So uh, that just popped another question for me. From your perspective, what is good supervision? Well, it's exactly that. It's a really, it's a, it's a nexus of those things. It's an, it's a combination of consultation and teaching and counseling. So, because it's not that you are providing counseling for your super supervisee or you are providing um, teaching, but you are always providing some degree of a little bit of each of those things because Sometimes you have to help your supervisee see where they might be experiencing some countertransference, which might mean bringing about some awareness that comes from using counseling skills. You may be you may be pointing out something that they need to learn and research without necessarily teaching it, but pointing out using teaching and education skills. You may be talking through an experience that helps in a way that is using consultation strategies to help them get some insight. So again, like supervision isn't doing the work for the supervisee, but it's helping them see how they have to work in a different kind of way to gain their own insight into what they're trying to accomplish with the client. Yeah, as you're describing that, Something that's coming up for me as I think about my work with supervisees is you can see things that they can't see yet because they don't even know they should be looking for them. Right. Exactly. So a lot of times when I consult, I as I work primarily with couples, I do a lot of consultation with my supervisees around couples. And so I'll listen to how they're talking about their experience with a couple that they're working with. And I can hear things and see things in there in the way they describe it that they don't even know they should be looking for. And also there it's blind spots in themselves. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting way that you just described that. And it's very different, too, with new clinicians versus more seasoned clinicians. Now, supervision generally is is only necessary through a certain sort of period of time for a supervisee. So supervision versus sort of case consultation is two different kinds of things. So supervision usually doing until somebody becomes licensed and then case consultation would be like you and I talking about something. We're both licensed, we're both seasoned clinicians, and we're like, I'm super stuck on this. What do you think? But it's still about, hey, listen, well, I've seen this or have you thought about this or what about this? But um, it, it it is about seeing something from a different lens or thinking about it a different way. So like I had a clinician the other day who is relatively new. So this made some sense, but also um, they were working really hard, way harder than the client on a particular task, trying to get the client to, to sort of 
share something verbally that this client was too young to really be able to share verbally. And they were just frustrated because they thought we're just playing, like we're not doing any work. I, and so they were, that was what they lived, what they were, what they said to me, like, we're just playing, we're not doing any work. And so, so as a consultant, I was able to sort of point out the connections that they were making. Then as an, as an educator in the, in my teaching role, I was able to share how play is the language of children. And then in my counseling role, I was able to point out that part of what they were experiencing was their own frustration because they felt like they were not good enough and that actually play, they were doing a perfectly adequate, if not more than adequate job because the child wasn't ready to be verbal and they needed probably 10 more sessions of just playing Barbies before they were going to get to any actual work. And actually they were actually doing the work anyway, didn't. So, so I was able to sort of do that. And and they were like, Oh, like it was a very gratifying experience, I think for them to be validated in what they were seeing. And uh, I don't think that they would have gotten that unless they'd had, you know, that opportunity for supervision. Absolutely. And I think the point you're making about newer clinicians versus more season one is right on. And yeah, you had this clinician who is coming from a graduate program who says the textbooks say it looks like this, but the textbooks can't account for every dynamic and every relationship. And so it wasn't moving as fast as the person you were working with thought, but a textbook's not going to tell you that because it's such a unique dynamic from, from case to case that you can see that unique dynamic right? But this person has never read a case conceptualization in a textbook that says, and we played Barbies for 10 sessions. Right. <laughs> before right, we because, before. right. Anything that you read that said that would have thought you were just totally wasting your time. What a, what a joke that is. And, and, you know, and then the consultation part of things with other colleagues, I mean, people call me all the time and they say, you know, do you think I should call CPS on this? And then we talk it through like, well, what do you think? Well, da, 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 you know, like, should we tell the parent in advance? Well, I don't know. My policy is yes. You always tell the parent in advance. Other people's policy isn't that, you know, like there's always a, there's always like conversations. My lens does go, looks at it this way. Well, I have a trauma informed lens and I look, look, I think about it this way. And I just love that. I mean, that is such a powerful way of non siloing our profession. Um, when, when it's, you know, it's so necessary. Yes. And I love talking to supervisors like you who have a whole conceptualization of what they're doing rather than I've talked to some people who've had their supervisors just sort of be validating. Mm. Yeah, that was a smart choice. That was amazing. You're doing so good. That's important. We need to definitely build people up, but we also need to help them understand um, things that they can't see. Because if you do supervision in a certain way, it will teach you how to do case conceptualization when you don't have, or a case consultation when you don't have a supervisor. Right. You don't know how to have conversations like that in 10 years when you get stuck on, or in one year when you get stuck on something. Right. You're not going to know how to have those conversations with a colleague. Right. You're going to think, I guess I'm doing it right. I'm right. So That's the, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because I can't tell you how many supervisors I talk to who don't do group or dyads. 
And I think that's a huge mistake. I think it should be a standard of care, like if there's such a thing, a standard of supervision that supervisees should should be required to be in a dyad or group for a portion of their time. It doesn't, obviously not the whole time. Right now, most states say you can be in a dyad or you can be in group for a portion, but I think it should be required because that is a very, very valuable opportunity to learn how to consult with a colleague and maybe even respectfully disagree. Oh, absolutely. Or, or agree, or, you know, just get a chance to sort of talk it through and, and figure out what to say and how to say it and be succinct in your description and, and take feedback and all of that. It's so valuable. Well, and also then how to teach too, right? Sure. I was in a group uh, supervision during my supervisory experience where people had different specialty areas. And so if I brought up this client that I was seeing that had this issue, which is not something that I've ever dealt with before, there was someone else in the group that could say, here's what I know about that. So, right. Right. So yeah, right. It's it's then teaching. Yeah. Good supervision then can teach you how to also be a good supervisor, be a good consultant, all of those things. And that's not a standard. So, um, I'm, I'm, hoping to sit on the ACES Committee for Supervision Standards, and I think it should be a standard. Hey, grad students, real quick before we get back to this interview, if you are loving the idea of being a part of a community of like-minded graduate students who want to own their own private practice one day, then you need to head to Facebook and join my Facebook group from Intern to Entrepreneur. There's already a community set up of graduate students who one day want to own their own private practices and be entrepreneurs just like you. So head over to Facebook, join that group, and stay in the loop and get connected with people who are doing things that you want to do. Back to the interview. Yeah, and so people, so for people that are listening, it this is something to keep in mind that when you go to look for a supervisor ask some questions about whether or not there's a group component or ask yep. some questions about, okay, if you don't have a group component, are you aware of anybody in the area that does where I could get a supplemental experience? Absolutely. Because it's in, I, I do think it's pretty invaluable to have had the experience of being in a group of, of clinicians for that. And I hadn't thought about it until you had just said it. Like, yeah, I, was like, I know easy way to get more hours. And it's like, well, no, it's invaluable. Exactly. And I know a lot of supervisors who are like, oh, no, you know, we don't do group or, oh, no, you know, like we don't support that. And I'm and I'm like, why? Like, why would you not? And from the perspective of a supervisor, why would I ever not do dyads? I mean, what I generally do is I'll do three dyad. I'll have a group. I'll have people like in twos. I'll do three out of four sessions a month as a dyad. So I'll have them as individuals once a month. And then I'll have them as a dyad because dyads in Virginia count as an individual session. Oh, that's cool. They're they're going to be in a dyad three times in a month and one once a month, they'll be individual. Now, if they want an individual session for some particular reason, no problem. I'm not going to say no, but I want them to have the experience always of supporting other colleagues, hearing from other colleagues, always, you know, seeing other colleagues notes, always talking about other cases with each other, because I, I think it's just hard to be by yourself and always, you know, being on your own. But then also we run groups on the weekends or other different times so that they are in a bigger group as well. And, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. It just makes sense to me. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Well, let's ask the flip question then from your, from your perspective, what is bad supervision? Uh, not knowing the regulations of your state. Oh my gosh. Can I just pause you right there? (laughs) That is, we, that, this really does deserve a pause. Yes. Let me just state this very clearly. When, if you're listening to this and you need to find a supervisor, the first question you should ask them is what you need to do to be able to get licensed. And if they don't know the answer to that, keep it moving. Hang up the phone. Keep moving. Right. I've, I've, I've talked to a few people who have been in that situation. And actually I know someone pretty personally who got to the end of their, what they thought were their hours and then had to do more soup, like, because the supervisor didn't know and was not uh, preparing them adequately and didn't answer the questions. And yeah, so that person ended up paying a lot more money for supervision because of that experience. So now I'm going to say, I will fully admit that in Virginia, I'm in Virginia, they frequently change the rules. Mm. So right now you can send in your paperwork for at your fit at the end of your supervision, you can send it in digitally. And then they also require you to send in some by paper and you can actually send it all in by paper. And it's possible that you can send it at all digitally, but I'm not 1000% sure about that. Yeah. What I tell people is send it all in by paper and send anything you can possibly send in digitally and make an entire copy of every single thing you send it. Yeah. So that's the only thing I don't know about supervision in Virginia. And frankly, they change it so much that even if I ask the question today, they'll probably change it tomorrow. So it will not help me. Otherwise, I think I pretty much know everything, but that's the number one thing that I see as problematic is not knowing how to get licensed or the supervision rules of your state. Yes. And to your point, there is a big difference between knowing the requirements for licensure and knowing this move by move that your state board is making. The yes. state boards, I'm, I'm Pennsylvania, it's like they couldn't make things more confusing in right. terms yeah. of language and, and things like that. So, so yes. But in that vein, it sounds like what you're doing, though, is trying to encourage, here's all the ways in which we can get around this confusion. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. And make all the copies of all the things and do all the, yeah, make all the safeguards. And then I think the second thing that is the most hinky to me about supervision are the people that accept people into supervision who are either already, they know, are already violating some kind of ethical boundary because they are either already in private practice and they're not supposed to be in their state, which is in general not allowed most in most states, but is in some allowed. And they go ahead and they start supervising them. Um, so they already start by breaking an ethical boundary. Or there are, or they as a supervisor break some kind of ethical boundary by, you know, becoming best friends with them, going out for drinks with them, inviting them over to their house, having them babysit, having that, you know, like whatever, some other kind of way of um, maybe not inviting them over to their house, but in general, having some kind of significant boundary violation, um, you know, asking them on a date, uh, like, you know, things like that. Those are, I see that actually kind of a lot. So yeah. And that's the other for, red flag. <laughs> for, yeah. Well, for graduate students and new clinicians listening to this, yeah. to be aware that like 
they should be paying just because someone is licensed does not mean that they are being ethical. It does not mean that they are amazing, but that they should feel empowered that if they're, if there is a red flag that they're noticing, then they should be consulting with other people. Like, Hey, is this a red flag that my, this, my potential supervisor or my supervisor is, uh, is, is displaying. Yes. So yes, yeah, that's, that could yeah. actually be a whole podcast episode on the ethics of, uh, of supervision of supervisors. Yes. There actually, yes, absolutely, there should be, and there, there absolutely is should be no reason why you shouldn't feel like you can speak to your board about a question you have about an ethical violation. Um, you should always be willing, you know, be able to speak to uh, another supervisor or a colleague or anybody if you feel like something feels just off. Don't ever hesitate to speak to somebody because. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it, you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about your directory because I think it's okay. super, super cool. Me too. Yes. Tell me how that got started, why you started it and how you're hoping people use it. Absolutely. So, um, in, t so along the way of my journey as a supervisor, um, you know, for me and for many, many people, um, finding a supervisor is really challenging. And, um, you know, when you graduate from graduate school, as many of your listeners probably realize, it's really difficult to figure out how to find a supervisor. Um, most states, all states are required to credential supervisors, but they have no obligation to list who they are. And so most states don't have a directory or a listing of any sort. Um, and if they do, it's pretty inadequate. Um, and so they, I'm not saying they don't try it. I'm not trying to throw states under the bus, but it's a big job to keep track of all the people doing all the things. So when you graduate from grad school, you don't even really know what to look for. Wading through the board websites is challenging in and of itself. So, um, what I wanted to, so, you know, when you're looking for a supervisor, a lot of times, um, you, you go with your, with your employer, uh, if you have an employer or you ask a friend of a friend or maybe a professor might su suggest somebody or, you know, you just get lucky. But the fact of the matter is those are all ways of finding, you know, a good restaurant or a new coffee shop. Those aren't the ways to find the person who's going to guide your professional career. And so I wanted to create and I was hoping someone else had done it, but I, I, I really wanted someone and was hoping someone had created a way for grad students to be able to, and new licensees, supervision seekers, who might not be grad students, people that might even just have decided this is, they want to pursue this career, um, to be able to go to one place and find supervision anywhere in the U.S. without having to go to each siloed state board throughout every single state and try to search through and find some kind of mystery list. And I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked, and I couldn't find it. It didn't exist. Now, a couple states have their own list, but there was no national directory of this, none at all, anywhere. Um, a couple different organizations do something sort of similar um, where they employ supervisors and they kind of aggregate people together. Um, but again, there's no directory that specifically solves this problem. And so I wanted one URL where if you were looking for supervision, all you had to do was type it in, put in your state, 
and anything else you wanted to put in. If you wanted to put in they spoke Spanish or you wanted to put in that they had a specialty working with maternal health or they were EMDR certified or they're in private practice versus, versus maybe working in community mental health. Just, you know, whatever other little parameters you wanted to put in. You could put in a URL, the state, multiple states, whatever, social worker, counselor, whatever, and it would list all the supervisors that met your criteria. I wanted to something that was like the Tinder of supervision without the dating because there's no, you know, no dating. We already had this ethical conversation part, right? And so um, I just decided I mortgaged my house and I said, I'm going to make this because it doesn't exist. And I, and I can't believe it doesn't exist. And I asked friends of mine, I'm like, should I do this thing? Because I just can't believe it. It doesn't exist. And they're like, yeah, you should do it. And I told my accountant, I said, I'm going to do this thing. I just don't, I don't think it's a real business or anything, but I'm going to make this directory thing. Should I get an LLC? And she's like, uh, yeah, I think that's like a real business. And it actually became like a real business. It's a really, it's a real thing. Um, it's actually become it's quite, real. I've been on the website. It's great. It's, it's become quite the beast. <laughs> It's become quite the thing. And um, and so yeah, so we um we now are um we are quite the thing. We are it's like fishing in the Atlantic Ocean, though. I mean, we we are um looking for supervisors and supervision seekers all the time. We have hundreds of supervision seekers every month coming onto our site. Um, we're constantly looking for supervisors to join. So our goal is to auspiciously have every single supervisor in the US. Um, social worker, RPT, EMDR, everyone on the directory, and to make it a value add if you belong to your state board, to make it a value add if you belong to NASW or ACA, ACA or any of the associations. If you join those, you can add a little extra money and you can join the directory if you're a supervisor, just to make it as easy as possible for everyone to be in it so that every student, that students... 10 years from now or one year from now or as soon as humanly possible won't have this problem anymore. And won't that be great? Yeah. And it really is. And then I can just not worry about it anymore. <laughs> you find something new to worry about, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, this problem will be solved. Right. It, it, and it really, so in Pennsylvania, you can start a private practice pre-licensed. And so I know for me, but you also have to be under supervision. So you can't right. just Start a start a practice, right, but 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 bet people do. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe they do. Um, um, they yeah, they they might. Well, it, it's actually only been recent, recent ish. I guess it's been a few years now that that was a thing. That before you could just do it. It's only been mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. maybe twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen that they've changed it. But so I, it, it changed right around the time that I was starting my practice, and I decided I wanted to start a practice. So I said, okay, well, I have to find a supervisor. But I knew I was going to have to pay for that supervisor. Uh, and there was, it was really just me going to 150 websites to see if somebody on a private practice website said that they take supervisees. And then it was finding a supervisor that would also supervise me to st while I was starting a practice. So, right. there were a and, and also I, if I was paying for it, I wanted someone good. Right. So I, I wanted someone that I was interviewing and they were telling me about what they did and how they could uh, add value to my career and my path. So I was definitely looking for a unicorn. I found him and I, I had a great supervisory experience, but like it took me uh, quite a bit of time right. to get all of those uh boxes checked. So yeah, if well, I had the directory, it, it may have been a lot easier. 
Well, that's the point. I mean, you know, because think about it. If you look at, if you think about what should be keeping our, you know, associations and our universities up at night, it shouldn't be getting counselors trained. We don't really have a problem getting counselors trained. We have a problem getting counselors licensed quickly and well. And that, the onus for that is on supervisors. So that means we have to have well-supported, well-trained supervisors available quickly and efficiently. That's what the CSD does. Solves all those problems. Well-trained, well-connected, professional supervisors who can be available quickly and efficiently to the people that are graduating right away. You can connect, you can connect before you graduate with a supervisor. Oh yeah. Before you graduate. Which I would recommend. Exactly. Exactly. And here's another cool part. Say you are like, for example, in your group practice, you list yourself, Corey White on the, on the, um, clinical supervision directory, and you can customize your own directory listing. And you say, PS, you know, we're hiring. So I'm a grad student and I'm thinking, well, I'm moving to Pennsylvania and I live in her town or I'm going to live nearby. She's hiring and she's looking for supervisees. Like I'm on that. That's so it becomes an employment engine as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of those things are so wonderful that you've created something that is going to make so many people's lives so much easier. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) We can get there. We'll get there at some point soon. Yeah. No, it, it definitely will. Are there any tips or tricks that you have for people to use the, to best utilize the directory, whether that's for supervisors or supervisees? Well, for supervisees, I would say, well, first of all, I would say anyone that uses the directory and has feedback for me or feedback for us, I am just a clinician. I am not like super marketer. I'm not like the queen of all the, I don't know anything. I'm just a clinician. Like I just, I don't know anything. I just am winging this. So please email me and say, hey, it would be so cool if you could do this. Hey, how about this? Could you try this? How about fixing this? How about, like, just give me all the feedback. So first of all, I would say that. I have a very thick skin. And second of all, I would say, if you're a supervision seeker, absolutely sign up and look often because don't give up on the first time. And email us and say, hey, listen, you don't have anybody in Minnesota. What What the heck? Because we can go on, we have thousands, we have over 5,000 people on our Instagram. We have a 7,000 person email list. We're connected with all K-credited universities across the U.S. We can say, hello, Minnesota, where are you? Who's out there? We have contacts in every state. So say to us, hey, listen, we need somebody in Minnesota. Help us. We will help you try to find someone. We have huge connections. We just might not have anybody in your state yet because, again, we're fishing in the Atlantic Ocean and it's a big, big ocean and we're only on a little rowboat. Yeah. If you're a supervisor, I would say optimize your listing to make sure it tells your story, you know, like who you are and and what makes you who you are. Um, And tell us that, you know, tell us who you are. Tell us 
talk to us because we can feature you as well. Make sure that we put you on our social media and in our newsletter, you know, connect your, your directory listening, listing to your social media, to your LinkedIn, to your website, because our SEO is fire. And if our SEO and your SEO talk to each other, it's like a bat signal. And that's a really, really powerful way to connect to each other. And so that when somebody Googles supervision in Pennsylvania, it should come up with your name and mine. And so like people don't think about that, but that's a pretty powerful thing. And so even if you're not looking for supervisees, here's the thing. This is a, this is a community. So when you're a supervisor in the, in the clinical supervision directory, we are launching in August, a Facebook group that's just for supervisors. And so um, that will be for anybody that's in the directory. They will be in that super, in that Facebook group. Um, but you get also free CEs through the supervision directory, and we're going to have case consultation through there, which we're just getting ready to launch this fall. So lots of opportunities just to connect, even if you're not taking on supervisees. So don't think that oh my gosh, I don't really want any more supervisees because I get that too. Sometimes we don't. We just have too many. We don't need any more. I get that, and. There's never a time when you don't need to connect with other supervisors. So the community is so valuable. I mean, for $200 a year, it's unbelievable. Like just for the CEs alone is worth the money. Yeah. So for people listening, what I would say is, okay, if you're looking for a supervisor, hopefully that's a one and done thing. Hopefully you go- And that's free. It's free for anybody. Right. So hopefully that's a one and done thing where you go to the website, you find your supervisor, and then you don't think about- this directory again until you should bookmark it so that in a few years, when you get to the point where you're able to do your own supervision, that you return to this and you go, now I'm going to use this website on the other end as a supervisor. Well, yeah. And actually you should bookmark it for when you get licensed because you'll need two to three CEs in ethics every year, which we will be, which we will continue to provide in perpetuity. And when you become, when you want to become a supervisor, we provide the CEs in to become a supervisor. So you'll be able to get your CEs to become a supervisor there. You'll be able to get CEs in ethics all the time. Yeah. So people will be always have access to that. And that will be in those CEs are available for supervisors through the directory all the time. Well, I'm so, a huge, um, I, I talk a lot about planting seeds that some of them don't grow because their, you know, incubation period is longer or whatever. I don't know much about plants actually. Uh, but you, I, I always encourage everybody to like in your uh, tabs, having a favorites folder of for future. And so oh, smart. Put this in your for future so that every now and then when you look at it, you get to go, oh, am I there yet? Not quite, not quite, not quite. So you should be planting that seed right now. Excellent. Use it for yourself in the future. So, all right. Last question I always ask people is what is one piece of practical or mindset advice that you would give a new or aspiring clinician who is interested in an entrepreneurial journey? I would say never be afraid to ask questions of people that you admire and or that you see who are doing a thing that you like or maybe want to do. If you see somebody on social media or in real life or 
anywhere that that are they're doing something even if they seem like they're famous or whatever whoever they are it doesn't matter if you see them doing something um ask them don't be afraid to to try to ask them and if you can't feel like you can ask them or you don't feel like they're going to answer you or whatever spend a little time observing them and write down what they're doing copy their path because People's paths leave leave clues to their success. And so ask for the path, ask for the map to their success. And if they, if you don't feel like you're going to get an answer because maybe they're like Beyonce and they're not going to answer you. So just give up on that one, but look for the path to her success and say, okay, this is where she started. And then she did this and this and this. Okay. I'm going to take those. And then I'm going to make those tabs that say for my future self, I'm going to be doing this. And so that those success steps just lead clues that take you to your end goal, but never be afraid to ask. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on and for talking about supervision and the directory. It's thank you. So many, so many, so many, so many, so many people. And we'll have to have you back in the future to talk more about different pieces of supervision because it's just a huge topic that graduate students need to know about. So thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Maybe we can do like a supervision series. That would be super. Yeah, that'd be fun. I love it. We'll, we'll chat about that then. Thank you so much, Amy. That's great. All right. Take care. Thanks. I hope that you loved this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about, check out the show notes. If you love this podcast and you want to support me in continuing to create content for entrepreneurs, then please share this with a friend, a grad student, who you think might want their own private practice one day. And also like, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it.